Does every anybody ever ask you, Don Jr., like about Secret Service? This is what I think is cool about you that most people would probably assume that you can't travel without it. But it seems like you do quite a bit. How do you how do you mix that up or decide when to and when not to? Well, I don't have it now at all. I had it, you know, I had it when my father was president. I'm security now. Um, yeah, Chez is my bodyguard. <laughs> wow you don't have to run fast you just have to be able to like a brisk walk and you you can get right around chiz uh no so i had it i was actually i was told i was the number two most threatened person you know in in government and under their protection or something like that when my father was president and uh so i had it then I, i did actually uh sign off for a while uh because it actually screwed a lot up with with my hunting so you know i got a team eventually that sort of figured out how to work with me and stuff like that. But I needed to get like a, uh, the white house chief of staff to work with the head of the secret service to do a, like a, a letter basically that was like, Hey man, you know, if between X and Y time I get shot in the face because I'm signed off, it's on me. And it, like, it's basically all cover your ass stuff. Right. I mean, yeah. so, it, and I understand that for, for their purposes, but like, it was just hard to do some things that I do with people. You know, you can't like, if you're stalking an elk, you don't want two secret service. Well, I actually guys have a story about that. Uh, I, I was, uh, right when I got a detail, it was like, uh, it was like right before Thanksgiving and 16. So right after the election, but before my father was even sworn in and I was out, uh, on an elk hunt, archery elk hunt. And like two guys show up in full suits with like MP fives. Cause we were in like the middle of nowhere and, uh, it, the Trump country kind of place. And like, I'm going in on this elk to, you know, bugling in the distance and everything like that with a bow and. There's two dudes with an MP5 in full suits, like 15 <laughs> yards behind. I'm like, hey guys, like, like this is. I need a little work. space. They're like, what, like, what kind of space? Like 20 or 30 yards? I was like, no, a thousand yards. I need like a thousand yards of space. And you know, eventually they figured out how to work with me. It was going to be a different kind of detail, but uh, no, and and all great guys. I mean, some some lifelong friends. But I did, you know, I also had I just signed off because like sometimes. You know, I, again, I don't get the Hunter Biden treatment when they're renting houses in Malibu and all that stuff for him. If I do something, then it's the Secret Service spent one cent following Donald Trump Jr., even if he was most threatened and much more recognizable, perhaps, than, uh, you know, a lot of other people at the time. But uh, it, it, was, it was interesting. But, yes, yeah, some of the, the early hunting excursions, they finally found, like, the, the guys, you know, became the redneck detail and <laughs> a highly requested detail because I did a lot of cool shit. Yeah, a lot of cool stuff. So with that cool stuff, and Chesh, you can talk about this too, but has it ever like had to be addressed as far as, I know that, you know, Eisenhower was a big hunter and, and you know, there's been hunt, there's been presidents that have hunted. Your dad's not a hunter, mm. but you are. You kind of have become one of the, I don't maybe the top two celebrity faces of the outdoor hunting space, maybe with Uncle Ted Nugent. Um, has it been addressed? Like you gotta you got to chill out. You've got to be careful because you don't want to, take a chance of bruising the iconic Trump brand as well as the, the presidency. Has it been addressed before? No, I just, you know, a, again, I, I, I do what I do. I'm, I'm a grown ass man. And like, you know, I'm, I've, I've had that conversation probably with my father a couple of times. Like he, you can't say that online. I'm like, really from you? Like you're, you're going to, you're the guy that's going to be like, you're taking it too far. I'm like, I'm not sure. Uh, how does that work? Uh, but no, and in the outdoor stuff, not really. Like I said, it was, you, you couldn't have a guy that perhaps had never been much in the outdoors. It doesn't matter what you're training. Be like, hey, we're going on a sheep hunt for 14 days living out of a backpack. And that, you know, 
that wasn't good for me, wasn't good for them. And so, like, that's why I, I did that thing where I could sign off. I'd give them a piece of paper and be like, hey, from Friday night at 9 p.m. till, uh, you know, I'll see you guys Monday morning or in 10 days when I get back from out of the woods and we'll just leave it at that. And, uh, you know, we came up with a pretty good system for it. There's a lot of good stories about the cigar service hunting, though. One of my favorites was the uh, first time we were duck hunting. These guys show up in suits, like you said. We got them, uh, <clears throat> they're wearing waders over a suit. Okay, and there's only room for four people in the blind. So it's me, him, his son, and the guide. And we shoot a duck. He falls behind us. And I guess I finally get out and go look for it. And I don't know where these agents are or anything. I'm walking around looking for this duck where I think it fell. And this guy literally stands up from a bush. He's right here. And the Secret Service agent hands me, hands me the duck. And I, I was just so, like, surprised. I said, Good boy. <laughs> what do you say? Patch. Solid retriever. Solid retriever. Highly, highly overqualified. So he's in a suit with waders over a suit. Well, I think yeah, that, that was like literally the first couple of weeks. And then I was like, guys, we got it. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, we're, we're going to come up with a better system. What were you doing leading up to that 16 election when your dad does win the presidency? And um, no, that'd be in November of 2016. What were you doing leading up to that as far as your professional career? Were you working, I was working in the Trump estate? organization? So we're doing real estate all over the world and, you know, all of that. So, yeah, it's a very different world. Once he started getting into the politics, I sort of, you know, found a niche. It was actually, it's sort of interesting. Found a niche perhaps later in life that I actually happened to be pretty good at and, you know, sort of had a big, pretty solid following and uh, sort of my, my, my outdoor hobbies and the things that I do. And honestly, the guys I actually hang out with. Uh, in the real world, I think that started actually coming into play. My father was like, hey, I was a hunting. You should be playing golf because we own golf courses and that's a part of a business. And it was like, no, 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 no go to Iowa. You should go hunting. Uh, you know, yeah. all, all of a sudden it was a little bit different. But uh, uh, yeah, no, we, that was all, you know, sort of business within the family business. And then once once we got into politics, I really sort of you know, got into it. I believe that I've been a lifelong conservative despite sort of, you know, where I grew up and uh, just thought it was worth fighting for. You've become, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, Chess or Don, but seems like you've become way more of a recognizable face since the political part of your, your, your dad's career, your career, even like during The Apprentice and, and the home, you know, all of the, the, I mean, I've known about your dad my whole life, whether it was boxing yeah. or at one of the casinos or one of the, you know, in, in Atlantic City or whatever it was, I've known about your dad for a long time, but you've become more recognizable in this space. Is that fair to say? Yeah. With the, with the politics and the- Yeah, no, 100%. And, and by the way, that was like, very much on purpose. Like I just, I did not like the limelight. I didn't, you know what I mean? I, I wasn't that guy. I didn't want to But do you like it now? It, it, now it's sort of part of the job, unfortunately, right? So it's like, if, I'm, if you're going to fight for something you believe in and you have the ability to get on TV or to do the, you sort of have to do that, right? Uh, in, in business, it, it started to change a little bit with The Apprentice because again, that became sort of a business as well. And then if you could do that and get out there more, so it became a little harder uh, to hide. But before that, like I was like, just very in the shadows growing up. Like I think a lot more people knew my sister cause she was out there in the New York scene and all that stuff. I was like, I want nothing to do with all that stuff. Uh, you know, now it, it's sort of, it's hard to escape. I mean, even with the apprentice, that, that was a huge TV show, obviously. And we were on, uh, you know, every week for years. Uh, if I was in a suit, it was very recognizable, but if I threw jeans and a t-shirt, like a lot of people never even made the connection. Now, I mean, during, like even travel during Corona, I could wear a mask and a hat in an airport. And they're like, oh my God, it's Donald Trump. I'm like, how, like you've seen that. Uh, is it because you know, of the people voice? Are you talking? They get a lot is if I'm on the phone because A, I'm loud and I guess I have a distinct voice. Um, and uh, <laughs> No, not at all. 
No, you do. That was a joke. Don't. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so yeah, there's a lot of people that pick, and I was like, oh my god, like there, there was, there is no hiding anymore, unfortunately. And what there, are you doing in airports? You fly commercial? Always. For real? Yeah. Nobody he, would ever guess. He that. flies commercial more than I do. I don't understand. Like just I. But I, everybody would think you're on a private jet all the time. Not. I mean, I, I will if I'm traveling with my father, or you know, I, I certainly have friends that do it sometimes. But like, if I'm traveling on my own, I'm, I'm actually 99 of the time commercial coach. Really? Yeah. On the way here, we sat in literally the back two seats beside the bathroom. I, I, mean, I just, I honestly, so it started for me, it became a, it was a little bit of a, a thing. My mom was always very good about that with us as kids growing up. Like she'd sit in first class and she's like, nope, you guys are, you don't like, we're not spending the money. So there was sort of that Eastern European sort of growing up in communist Czechoslovakia mentality of like, we're going to save and be intelligent about the way we spend money. Uh, so I started doing that then. When I started working, I was the low man on the totem pole, so I just did it then. And when I started leading and had younger guys working underneath me, I was like, you know what? If they're going to be riding in the back, I'm going to set an example and ride in the back with them. And I, it sort of it sort of became my thing. And the reality is, like, I just don't see the value in you know some of these things for first class to spend seven times as much to land at the same time. I'm like, I don't get it. It's just not the way my brain works. Uh, and so, yeah, no, that's sort of my thing. If you bring up a point that I wanted to touch on um, as far as family goes, and you talked about your mom and your upbringing. Your dad's been in the limelight, like we talked about before, for a long time. He's been a tycoon. He's been a brand builder. He's been, a, you know, he's called a billionaire. So talk to me about family. I think one of the biggest misconceptions about whether it's your dad or you or the family as a whole, and, I'm, and you can correct me if I'm wrong again, but family is so important to you guys. Your dad is a great father. He's very close to his kids. You're a great father. You have five kids. Mm-hmm. Your dad is a great grandfather. He has a a history and a relationship with all of his grandkids. Is this fair to say? Cause I want to clear the air a little bit of like Trump's are not just out there running around building businesses and putting up skyscrapers and, and doing land deals and living at Mar-a-Lago and just living the high life. They're very family orientated, correct? Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, you know, what else is there? Right. Right. I mean, the other stuff without that, what are you doing it for? Uh, so no, that's always been a thing. Um, I, again, it's probably why I got pushed into politics. That's sort of, you know, He's doing this. I'm going to go fight for him. I think he'll do a good job. I believe in that. And so I'll go fight. Uh, You know, I I did well at it, I guess, that sort of created my own reputation within there a little bit as well. Uh, But, you know, it started off as that. Like, I can assure you it would have been much easier to, you know, shut the hell up, uh, be a real estate developer in New York City, get invited to cool, cool person parties and just, you know, leave it alone. But that's just not the way we are. When I hear somebody in my family get ridiculed, you know, my, my hackles go up. You want to fight like you're talking about. Your dad's always had insults thrown at him. I'm sure there's been jealousy through his whole career. Mm-hmm. Does it mess with you more in the political realm, the stuff that comes out, the stuff that's been said since 2015, 14, 15, when he announced his running and his campaign? Does it hurt you more or does it, does it hurt it you? It doesn't hurt me, actually. It's, it, honestly, like, I, I feel like I feed off of their hate. Like it, it doesn't make sense. And I have guys, you know, that are buddies that run big businesses and deal with a lot of stress. And they're like, how are you dealing with, you know, during the peak Russia, 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 you know, they want to try me for treason. You know, it's a minor detail, Chad. It's a crime punishable by death. By death. You know, yeah. and it's like, I, I didn't even, I was like, what do you mean? It's Tuesday. You, you get, you actually sort of get numb to it. And when I look at the sort of the guys out there doing it, you know, whether it's the, you know, the Adam Schiff's of the world, I'm like, this guy's a clown. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean you don't have power. It doesn't mean, you know, if the media is carrying your water, that's sort of what we're up against. But like, it's so asinine. And, you know, now, like with just about everything else, <laughs> whether it's conspiracy theories or otherwise, we've been proven right about just about everything. Uh, so now it doesn't actually. It, it's sort of a motivating force because 
unfortunately, they're doing that to so many people. And the reality is, like, I think if we can fight back, if we can push back, my idea is to hopefully open the doors for others to finally say, like, enough is enough of this stuff. I think what I've learned through that whole process, like, the, you know, everything we believe about America, like, as proud sort of patriotic guys, like, most of it's bullshit, right? It doesn't exist the way it should or the way we'd want it to or the way that, you know, we, we'd believe it to. That, that's one big lie as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and that's a shame, and we got to fix that. You know, the, the power is centralized around D.C. Uh, people who are supposed to represent the people aren't doing that. They're representing their own interests in the vast majority of the times. And so, you know, I, I think why I'm still in it right now is because I'm just fighting for that, to try to fix that and change that. Chess is a, a close friend of Don Jr., and you know his dad well and his siblings. Do you, in your heart, believe that Don Sr., that, that President Trump, did it for the pure love of the country and because he doesn't, there's no money to be made in that spot. He's already, no, there is world... money to be made if you're a Democrat. <laughs> no, no, listen, like what, Joe Biden's one of the dumbest human beings in the history of the U S government. That's a, like, and he was known as the dumbest guy in the U S Senate. Yeah. You know, his son's making multi-million dollar deals with no experience and anything like that. Right. He's pulling millions out of Russia, Ukraine, a billion dollar investment from China. Like, you know, the Chinese don't just do that. Right. They don't invest a billion dollars in someone who's, you know, we known crackhead, right? That's not what happens unless they're buying you. So, you know, it is easy to make money in politics if you're on that side and it's been done for a long time. Look at, I mean, and then, well, there's plenty of Republicans doing it too, right? Like you, you, how are, you know, how did Obama come out of the office worth X? How are, how are the Clintons worth what, you know, they were peddling influence. They weren't representing the people. Uh, you know, I think Trump's probably legitimately the only one that came out with less money than he went in. The difference is he went in with a lot of money because he had grown all sorts of businesses and done things for decades. You know, I, I think that that's the clearest thing. The fact that the val- the Trump brand, the Trump value, whatever, went down after this. You immediately went from being a reasonably well-loved person, aside from Rosie O'Donnell or whoever, but generally, you know, people liked him, to go into half the country absolutely hates you. Why would you go through that if, you're, if your intentions aren't pure? You know, a lot of these people that come up in politics, I see it all the time, that they know that they want to they be president one day. They know they want to be governor one day, whatever. They, they go through their life kind of on that path. But to go from being successful, having plenty of money, I mean, what, what does the guy need? You know, he's got, a, he's got a house in Florida. He's got a house in New Jersey. What else you want? And, but to go from that to being, you know, hated by so many people, to put yourself through all that stuff. And I don't I honestly don't understand how they do it. You're talking about the family. I've spent a lot of time um, with his kids. And what I think is, in fact, they have a nickname for me. They call me Big Cheese. Um, but w- what's interesting about his kids, and I've always, I've always thought this, that it's very hard for piece of crap parents to raise good children. And so you can look at the children and judge the parents a lot of times. And if that's the case with this family, with Don, with Eric, and with with Don's kids, you know, these are all good people. But one of my favorite uh, favorite stories, one of the first years Don was hunting with us, his son Donnie was there, and I think he was eight or nine. And Donnie wanted a four-wheeler. And so Don, who's got plenty of money to buy him a four-wheeler, said, okay, well, you, you, you save up half and maybe you'll get one for Christmas. So he's like trying to save money. Now, he had to be, had to be eight or nine years old. So I said, well, I'll tell you what, Donnie, if you want to earn some money, I found a can of pork brains in the cabinet, like like pickled pork brains. And I said, uh, if you take a big bite of this, I'll give you a trillion dollars. And I found a trillion dollar bill had Barack Obama's face on it. And uh, he said, really? I said, yeah, trillion dollars. That'll get you a long way to your four wheeler. He was like, okay, takes a big bite of pork brains. 
so happy. He's almost almost got enough money for his four wheeler, and runs out of the Secret Service. And one of the guys who had no sense of humor was like, "Oh, that's fake. That's not real." But it was it was just interesting because you know kids kids nowadays they get whatever they want, you know, whatever gadget, whatever gizmo. And here's a a kid who's literally named Donald Trump, who's got to save money to get a four wheeler. And I just I just spoke volumes. Yeah, it's got a lot to say about character and as far as you know being raised the right way. And that's what I've always seen through the family is the media and and we could go on and on about the media. We talked about the media a little bit ago, but the media can portray you and your family in any color and light that they want. I mean, they did that, right? I mean, look what the, the image they tried to portray of me versus again, let's take another presidential son, like Hunter Biden, right? You know, as far as they're concerned, I'm significantly worse. Now, not a crackhead, but if I give an impassioned speech and you've seen me, I'm not what I'd call a low energy individual. Uh, you know, they, he must be on cocaine. I'm like, there's a video of the other guy. Like, <laughs> you know, if I did one of the 100 things that he thought like was a great idea to film on his laptop, like I'd be in jail or ridiculed or, you know, and no, no, that's different. That's, that's okay. Like it's, it's just the, the double standard and the hypocrisy is sort of amazing. Where do you, where do you think, did that start because your dad was so successful and he was coming into a world of people and taking a, uh, trying to take a position that was being sought after. Like you said, somebody wants to be president. Somebody wants to be governor. All of a sudden you have this powerful guy like Donald Trump coming into their arena. So they got, they have to turn on him. Is that why the CNN? No, I think, I think it's mostly just, you know, if if you're going to, you know, they liked him if they didn't know what his political allegiance was the second you're sort of a Republican. I think it's truly like a difference, like just a standard between conservatives uh, and, and liberals. I mean, I think there was a component of the attacks initially almost helped him, right? Because they actually wanted to run against him because they were like, he's the guy we can beat to make sure we instill, you know, Queen Hillary, who's, you know, the greatest human, I mean, we don't know why, but like, it's so incredible. Uh, and then I think they realized that, wow, this guy's actually doing the things, you know, the, the problem with Washington is everyone goes there telling all the things they're going to do, and then they end up doing nothing. And they keep getting reelected, promising they're going to fix something, but they could be there for 30 years and actually never do anything. He was actually really effective in the things that he said he was going to do. Uh, and so in doing that, they got to put up whatever roadblocks possible, make it more difficult. Like, uh, you know, imagine what he could have done had he not had to deal with just like the Russia, Russia, Russia nonsense for three years of a, you know, of a presidency. And I mean, they still talk about it as though it's real, even though it's been totally, you know, disproven. It's just... You, you see it, I mean, you see it more recently in just, you know, the document finds, right? So now, I guess today in the in the Doug blind, I read about a fifth classified batch of documents for Joe Biden. Well, no, no, it's different because Joe Biden, no. Well, the, it was different when it was at his think tank because somehow the think tank that's funded by the Chinese Communist Party and Joe Biden was drawing a $900,000 salary for him, classified documents left there for probably countless people to see is different than at my father's home, under lock and key, guarded by the United States Secret Service. Somehow the China-funded think tank is safer. Then it was the Corvette garage. Then it was this. Now there's just silence. It's as though it didn't happen. I remember like four weeks ago when this was treasonous and Joe Biden was on TV. This is the most irresponsible thing ever. And now we're on his fifth batch of classified documents and the White House isn't commenting anymore. It's, it's, the double standard is just insane. And so I, I just hope throughout all of this mess that people sort of figure that out. Uh, I hope that people have a, a much better perspective on the media and what they tell you and hopefully sort of take that and throw some sort of 
uh, you know, discount factor on it uh, because, you know, none of it in many cases is true. And I, I saw that by being a fly on the wall as you know, a big part of a lot of that stuff. I was like, I don't know. I was in the room when that happened. And like what you're saying is not at all, it's not even close. Like there's not even a pretense of truth to it. And it didn't matter because I was driving a narrative for it, right? Mm-hmm. I was, I used the example of like the Wuhan lab leak theory during COVID. Like, remember if you were a doctor and you said, do you think maybe it came from the lab in Wuhan, like three feet from where you say it originated? Like, you think maybe that could have happened? Like the lab that studies the exact virus in question? No, can't, could not have happened. It came from three feet outside of that lab magically uh, in a, from some sort of way. Like, it's literally the dumb. Of course it came from the lab. Like, it was always the most plausible answer. And yet, if you have enough people pretending they are the science and or instilling a social consequence, or in that case, career consequences to anyone who would question sort of their narrative, uh, you know, they, they were trying to end people's lives for stating the obvious. You know, again, another conspiracy theory that, you know, went down the drain when it no longer mattered, but they weaponized the hell out of it at the time. Uh, so I, I'm hoping that, you know, people looking back on this, uh, I hope that it shows a lot of distrust in those institutions because they don't deserve any trust. None. As far as I'm concerned. I mean, listen, is the FBI any different, right? Like you see, you see what they did to start Russia, Russia, Russia. You see... All these, you know, insane people that shoot up. Oh, well, he was on our radar. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's on your radar. But you have time to, uh, you know, investigate every person that was somewhere within 500 miles of D.C. on January 6th. Uh, you know, you're you have no problem branding a mother or a parent who showed up to a school PTA meeting and say, like, I don't want you teaching and indoctrinating our children with like critical race theory and all that nonsense. Uh, those people were literally branded by the DOJ and the FBI as domestic terrorists. Like that's doesn't feel like that's part of their job. And yet that's where they've gone. And then, you know, when, when they screw up, how dare you question? What, what do you mean? How, how dare you not question them at this point? When, if that's the stuff they're focused on, like, and they're not getting things done on the other side, like we got to be asking some serious questions. And I'm, I'm just hoping that people have sort of woken up to that and, and start thinking that way. Can you ever personally get away from it as far as you have to be on all the time. It seems like, because it seems like every day your name or your dad's name is going to be, I mean, for your sure you're the Trump name is going to be in the news and the media. No. Is it been hard for you to get away? Is it, has your stress level gone up? Do you find your value of life different now because of all the eyeballs on you all the time? You can't go anywhere and not be recognized. You can't turn on a TV and not either see you being interviewed or your dad's name being mentioned. And chess is a friend. Does it bother you that he can't get away from it? If he can't. Well, I mean, I think that, that's why I like hunting so much. I, I think I because, get away from it. I mean, you know, other than maybe a couple selfies at the lodge, you know, I'm with pretty chess. much away from it. Yeah, with, <laughs> with, yeah, with, with, with big cheese. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I, I guess this has always sort of been my out. Whether you know whether it was stress just from you know running a pretty big business, or you know now it's compounded. But you know, I, I think I've been you know somewhat blessed to just be able to process that better than a lot of people could. You know, on the stress side, like I I sort of welcome those fights. It's like when people are out, they're out there like, well, you should run for office. It's like, well, I, I actually like some of the aspects of it. Most of the things that conservatives don't do well, like the fight. Like I actually sort of, I don't know if I want the day job. That's different. Like, and you got to kind of want both. Uh, but you know, I, I don't actually mind, you know, that because I believe in what I'm actually doing. Like, it's not, you know, it's not like going to work and like selling something you don't really care about or believe in. And, you know, you're checking a clock. Like I actually believe in this stuff and I want to make sure, you know, I leave five kids a country that they recognize. 
Well, that's a, and that's an important thing about hunting in general and why hunting is important and getting the next generation outdoors, things like that, because the ability of, of Don to, you know, be one of the most recognizable personalities in the country, but can go down to Hyde County, North Carolina, shoot ducks, not be bothered, just enjoy, enjoy the outdoors and, and what that provides. I think that that's critical to a lot of people in this country. And that's why more people need to get into hunting. When you talk about, um, you know, the selfies at the lodge, a man walked up to you last night and the night before, two different individuals, and both of them started the conversation with the same sentence and sentiments. Thank you for what you do for us. Yeah. That could either be mean, I'm a Republican and thank you for what you do for politics, or that could be, I'm a hunter and thank you for your voice in Safari Club International and the NRA, and your dad speaks at the NRA, you speak at SCI every year, you speak all over the place on, on behalf of, of, of hunters in Second Amendment. There's a difference there, the politics. And then here, what, yeah. how, how do you transition over to this side in the hunting? What do you, I, I don't need you to give us a laundry list of what you're fighting for, but how does that correlate when somebody says, thank you for what you do, if they are talking about for the hunters, the outdoorsmen, the men and women that enjoy the outdoors? No, listen, it, it, it means the world to me. I've seen, again, you know, what, what they try to portray hunting as. What, you know, I mean, if I, and I look at what's going on, you know, in society as a whole. And I say, man, we'd be a lot better off if every kid got their ass off a couch, you know, away from a video game and like got into the woods or onto the range or onto a lake or a stream or just into the outdoors in general. And like all the things I learned, uh, you know, patience, perseverance, the discipline, uh, you know, for all of those sports. And like, I think it's the greatest lesson we could actually give to our kids, especially in sort of this like instant gratification world. Everyone's always winning everything and participation medals are, you know, abound. Uh, hunting's the most purest form of all of that stuff and getting away from that and, you know, around a campfire, everyone's the same and equal. And it's, it's just, it's a great thing. So, you know, I'm happy to, I've taken plenty of heat for that. I've lost a lot of, you know, sort of business by being vocal about it, you know, and I've been told that, but, you know, the reality is, you know, there comes a point in in life and there probably comes a point in even civilizations where you actually got to stand up or it's, you're going to wake up one day and it's going to be too late. So, I, I'm happy to do that, even you know, even if it's probably been, you know, a detriment, uh, you know, to me in many respects, you know, from a business standpoint. But politics would have been significantly worse than that. I'm still doing that because it 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 matters to me. Mentorship is everything in what we do. Mm-hmm. You go to New York City, which I just visited for the first time in October of 22, and. I'd say 80% of the people don't even know that you can hunt a can of the goose in the state of New York that are walking around yeah. within the city limits. Upstate New York was one of the most mesmerizing things I've ever done. I know you have property up there, yeah. but where I'm going with that, Don, is where did your mentorship come with? Your dad didn't hunt. No. You weren't brought up in a hunting family, per se, in your immediate family. Um, your dad's a, a casino owner, a golfer. He's a businessman. Where did it come in with you, and how did you start to, to get into guns and archery and hunting? So uh, my grandfather on my mother's side was a blue-collar guy from communist Czechoslovakia. He saw, uh, you know, the life's, and it may be the beginnings of my political leanings as well, having, you know, gone over there and spent summers with him in Czechoslovakia at the time, right? Um, I, you know, he, he saw what we had here, realized how fortunate we were, wanted to make sure I saw the other side. I never took it for granted. And, you know, he just brought me over there, lived in a you know, very small town, uh, sort of little cabin up in the mountains, and was like, there's the woods. I'll see you at dark. He, you know, taught me how to shoot an air gun. There's no hunting over there because he wasn't, you know, Communist Party elite or anything like that. But got me into sort of the woodsmanship and the, you know, orienteering and, you know, all the skills around that. Uh, some basic fishing stuff. He passed away when I was 12. I went to boarding school in central Pennsylvania. A couple of guys took me under their wing there. 
you know, one guy in, you know, as a fly fisherman, one guy as a wing shooter, uh, and sort of marksman, uh, I fell in love with every aspect of it, read every book there was just, you know, did every opportunity I could. And then once I could drive, it just sort of, I, I went crazy. You know, I, I graduated from, you know, Wart the Wharton school of finance where my father went to business school. I, you know, moved to Colorado to be a bartender for a year and a half and just basically fish and hunt all day and work nights. So I could do that. Would you consider me one of your mentors? I would not. <laughs> well, okay. Mentor what? Well, I mean, well, before you kind of be my bear hunting mentor. Okay, I'll, I'll, <laughs> he, as, as the the guy that yeah got got me down to North Carolina. We we do a lot. Of, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a little bit. Of well, that. And, and you're a great liaison for him to be involved in hunts like this by putting his name on. On all yeah. these prize packages. Chez has done a wonderful job selling me to other people. And I'm like, he's like, by the way, I auctioned you off last night at Delta Order. Like, hey, Donald, we're going to do, remember those auctions where they actually would offer, like auction you off to a woman for a date? Like they do that. I'm too, basically like, that's like, like a duck like line. So what does it mean when you see guys like this sitting out here that paid money to go on a hunt with you? It just happened last week at the Dallas Safari Club. It happened last year in Vegas at Safari Club last January. Yeah. Um, it, it's almost like mind blowing to me the amount of money you've raised. Yeah, we've for done some conservation, we've done some big ones, just like, to hunt with you. Like I enjoy hunting with yeah. you, but these guys are paying big money. That's got to make you feel like, man, that's cool. It's not like they're going to come and be mind blown. You're not looking to mind blow them with your hunting skills. This is more of a camaraderie deal. But I usually do. <laughs> We'd be losing I mean, money if that was the yeah, case. Yeah, what, what, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> so, but you know what I'm saying? It's 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 one of those yeah. things to where they're. They're paying for the camaraderie and the campfire with you. But that's what, I mean, that's what I think the misconception, I mean, you know, you know how many great hunts I've ruined by pulling the trigger? And it's not because I missed. You did it today. You know, Jack told me. <laughs> just, it, it's a great, you know, that's what it's all about. You know, it, it's not, you know, don't, don't get me wrong. I love all aspects of it, but the camaraderie, uh, you know, the friendship, the sort of, you know, time, especially, you know, when I'm doing my crazy stuff, like the sheep stuff, when you, when you don't have self-service, it's not even an option. Just that forced, you know, time with friends. I mean, that to me is what it's more about, you know, than anything. And, you know, I, I think I do a pretty good job breaking balls in the blind and, you know, ha having a good oh, time good with that. It. And so, no, for me to do those things, the reality is like, hey, I'm going to be hunting anyway. Like if we can do some something and uh, raise some awesome money for charity. I mean, I think SCI one time, like, you know, sold a sick of blacktail hunt for $600,000 for conservation. It was like one of those that was just you know, we're like, okay, well, guess what? You two last bidders, like you both got it at that price. Congratulations. Like we'll, we'll, we'll hunt a little bit longer and get everyone in there. Cause it was just for the right thing. Yeah. Last weekend at, uh, at DSC, I, I mean, a dove hunt with me in Argentina went for $200,000 for dove for Dallas Safari Club to do a dove hunt, you know? So, uh, you know, I think these are people that a, they'd be giving money to conservation anyway, doing the right thing with that. And, you know, if, if hanging out with me in camp gets those numbers up, but you know, happy to do it. Do you, do you, um, consider, do you become, uh, let me phrase it this way. Do you become friends with almost everybody you share camp with to where they get your cell phone number and you stay in touch? What would the percentage be? You think? I mean, I wouldn't give it to you, but like uh, uh, other people. <laughs> oh, he's often, busting yeah. balls again already. <laughs> Told you I'm the liaison. <laughs> yeah. You know, honestly, I think a, a lot of the times, yes. Hey, hey listen, I, I, it's not all it was perfect. You know what I mean? There's definitely, there, there's times where like, yeah, like I, you know, it's, sometimes you're like, this is the guy who thinks I'm just going to be like his dancing monkey in camp, and I'm, you know, I, you know, after, after like seven hours of questioning, it's like, okay, let's let's maybe not talk politics or maybe not this, but like, do you want to dance? 
Yes. <laughs> that, yes. Like you, you, you witnessed it. I'm like, what, what, like, what would what? lead you to believe that I would want it? Yeah. Uh, so, but no, honestly, the, I have, I have yet to actually have, and I do probably three, four of those a year. Like, you know, cause if they're like, Hey, if we can do this and, and, and do it, I'm, I'm always happy to sort of help out that way. And if that's just one thing I can do, you know, that that's pretty big in and of itself. I try to do a lot more than that, but, uh, no, for the most part, it's actually always worked out well. Um, you know, and I think the guys that are doing that are usually guys that are going to be cool anyway. So well, in general, Chess yeah. ask your permission first. Do you ask his permission? I had no idea that this one was actually like, he told me, <laughs> did after you ever the fact, see the flyer that he had us designed for it? I approved it. <laughs> I know. I, 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 it, Chess, like, what the, are you the, doing? This dude? was last year at Delta Waterfall. I think I found out that you sold it like you, this week. <laughs> well, I mean, we've had a good hunt. So we, we have had a good hunt. It, it hasn't yeah. worked bad yet. We haven't like not had a successful. Yeah, see, I approve see? it. Look at that. You like it? Look at that. Yeah, I thought I did a good job. See that? It's a win a hunt with, there you are, win a yeah. hunt with Donald Trump and the foul life. What I, what I should have we're going to do is be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I never approved that. Let him sue Chess or something like that just for fun. Just. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about Honey Break. We're... Yeah. We, we, we know about this place. You've known about it. We've talked about this hunt for a few months leading into it. Um, were you impressed? Is it fun? Is it a nice, is it a nice joint? Do you like Drew? Do you, have you had a good, good experience the first two I've days? I've had an awesome experience actually. And I, you know, I've sort of grew up doing a lot of waterfowling, but it was always sort of, you know, local stuff that I had access to or whatever, or that I worked to get access to or, you know, sea ducks out on Long Island. And so I, I grew up doing a lot of waterfowling, but I didn't often travel for it. It was always sort of, uh, you know, Hey, if I was going to be in Florida and I knew buddies that had, you know, access to certain impoundments or whatever, go do that. And I always had a great time doing it. Like, uh, you know, but like coming to a dedicated lodge and spending a few days, like just awesome. Like they, they do a great job. The food's spectacular. The lodge is awesome. Like, uh, I, I do a lot like, like you and people always like, you know, sleep in the back of a truck while hunting somewhere for, you know, a, a weekend. And I, I'm the guy, if I draw a tag, like I, I'm going, I, I may not always have you know, 10 days to do an elk hunt, but you know, I'll, I'll fly out on Thursday night, do a three day week. And I'm on a red eye, whether I tag out or not. And I've eaten plenty of tag soup doing it uh, that way. But I just, you know, but coming to a place like this, you know, sort of nice when everything's sort of taken care of at times and you're not having to put in that work and you can actually have the sort of the great combination of the hunting, the camaraderie without, they just do such a phenomenal job. So it, it, it's awesome. And this I is would the, definitely come back. This is the first trip. Maybe not with Ches, but like, <laughs> I'm the liaison. <laughs> yeah. Liaison. I like that, man. The, uh, the Don said this. This is what we call the worst of politics. <laughs> okay. What'd you call me? The swamp, uh, swamp gorilla. I think yeah. yeah. Um, this is the first trip that, uh, Don has traveled just to go on a duck hunt. Just for waterfowl. Yeah. As a, I mean, I, I've gone. Yeah. It's always been like a byproduct. You know, I'll, I'll tag out on a Texas deer hunt and do that. I guess I get, when I, when I had a dog and I was like right out of college, I did a couple where it was just dedicated to waterfowl. But like, as of late, it was always like, you know, I'm going to be somewhere hunting. Like definitely let's go shoot some ducks some afternoon or let's go, you know, shoot some geese, whatever it may be locally down, you know, at home in Florida. Same, you know, even when I did a lot of sort of goose hunting up uh, by my cabin and the Catskills and stuff like that, it was like, I'm, I was there fly fishing. It's like, let's go shoot some geese in the morning before we got on the river. Well, part of my mentorship of him is, you know, he, he's, he's used to these self-appointed mentor. <laughs> he's used to these, you know, elk hunts and, and very physical sheep hunts and all this stuff. And what I wanted to show him on this trip is that you don't have to do that. 
You can eat cake for breakfast. You can smoke. And, and, and he does. Right? He, how many guys have brought cake to a blind? A, a whole king cake. Yeah, that was, I was and like, a whole tobacco factory. I didn't know whether to be upset or impressed. <laughs> We're smoking cigars at seven o'clock in the morning. Smoking cigars with a dip in while eating king cake, and I'm like, this is the with most a Marlboro in his ear, waiting on deck. <laughs> this is peak peak male here, as you can see. This is, this is the pinnacle of... But he owns it. He owns it. Oh, he, he doesn't owns care. It it's all. so good. It, by the way, that's what's great about it. It's like, when I'm breaking his balls, it's like, you know, Jez, you may not live to see 40, but like he is totally fine with that. It's like he, We're having not, a good time. You have gonna, kids. You have kids. I got gonna, life insurance. He's too. not going to change anything. <laughs> What um, let, let, have you heard a, some of the crap he says in a duck blind? Like he, oh. his kids may be better off if he wasn't in the pen. I'm just... Let's get the elephant out of the room. Do you think Drew Keith had a point about my duck calling? <laughs> Don't laugh, Chess. Cheese, cheese. I think you're a very good duck caller, and I, and I am not. It's uh, you know, I, I can I can call some I can call some ducks. I did admit like the one thing the literally the my biggest weakness in all of like my outdoor pursuits. Is like I can't blow like a single reed goose call. I just can't do it. Short reed goose call. I, I, short reed. Sorry. Uh, I one of those. I don't know if it's you know whatever it is. So it's not something I can be like. Well, you did this wrong because I'm so good at it. I'm not, and I'll, I, I'm I'm fine admitting that. But I think there were a couple times we hit that high ball when like pintail were like I didn't know like, they were there about three feet out of range. Just like they're, they're like we're about to shoot them, and we're like. Bah, 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 bah. And I was like, they're just like, no. I did see a big difference today when I'm not calling. It's so much quieter. Like there's, it's so much more like, um, what's the word? Not surreal, but serene. Is it serene? Serene. It's I, like a serene it environment. Also, it, we also had almost no wind for the last two days. Yeah. So I think, and I, I don't know that it would have been as loud if we had sort of regular, like, you know, a regular sort of 15 mile an hour duck wind instead of like basically dead ass calm. In your defense, we killed more ducks the day you called than the day you didn't call. Not by much. Well, that group, that last group of till today saved us. CJ, would you want me calling? Absolutely. Both? No. You don't care. <laughs> no. He's like, oh. He's like, oh. I, was, I told you to call today. I should have. He wore banded waders today for me. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he did. He wore banded waders. Wearing that knockoff crap before for him. Yeah. Um, on the, on the, the camaraderie part of camp, the duck calling, the the lodge life. Does it bother you that that you've become so recognizable? And I know that we've touched on this, but you, when you're at camp and you're wanting to just be a hunter and you're chilling, you can't have it both ways, right? No, it's, it's almost everywhere you go, you're going to attract that conversation or that comment or that handshake or that selfie. Uh, you, you've heard about celebrities being standoffish and pissing people off. Yeah. You're not that guy. But how old does it get? And do you wish that it would that it would cease a little bit? Or when it does, does that mean that you're that it's that it's yeah, starting to it, go away? It's a great. I, I've sort of I was having this conversation with someone the other day. It's sort of like you know, like you've seen what happened. Like Ches has seen what happens. Like if I'm on the floor of like shot show, like it's it can get brutal. Like I can and I can be talking to a friend and like people just sticking cameras in your face. And I'm like, you know, and I've done it where I was like, I'll take 30 minutes worth of selfies. And it's like I actually have to go somewhere. And then. If there's someone that didn't, oh, you're an asshole. It's like, I just took 30 minutes out of my day to take selfie. It doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. I could care less. So it, 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 it can get overwhelming. You've seen how ridiculous it can get sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I guess the only thing worse than perhaps having to take selfies is when they stop asking. I don't know. You know, if they stop asking, maybe you're, you know, you know your time has passed and maybe you missed that. I don't know. Uh, in camp... It's usually not a problem. It's so much of what I do just ends up being like just very small groups of people. You know, th this is a little bit bigger. 
than that. And so there's groups of people you don't necessarily know. Everyone's been totally awesome. But like, you know, I I let loose in, in camp in terms of just what I say. And that should probably surprise no one who you know <laughs> sees my social feeds or anything like that. But that's kind of what I am. And, you know, I, you just never know if someone's like, hey, like you're having, you're said this in a conversation and I was videoing Don when he wasn't watching. And it's sort of like, you do have to think about that stuff, which sucks. Um, you know, and some people do it sort of, you know, even in, even well-intentioned people, but I'm like, they just don't know. Like, I know what's going to happen when someone, you know what I mean? They may not think those things through because I've just been there so much. So sometimes that can be a little bit, that gets a little old because you're just constantly having to think about it. Now, I'm not much of a party or anything like that, but like, you know, I, I do like to break balls. I like to make jokes. I like to have fun. And if someone, you know, else takes offense to that somewhere else, well, I don't know. So far, I've been lucky. It hasn't happened. So uh, maybe uh, I'm, I'm not as bad as I think I could be sometimes. But uh, you do think about it. And you just, unfortunately, you have to. But that just goes with the territory at this point. Do you do you see both sides of it to where you wish it was not as much to where you could let, let – I mean, do you have to be on your best behavior as the liaison mm-hmm. when you're at camp with them to where – people are watching or maybe even potentially filming or taking pictures at all times? Well, I, I never say anything outrageous or do anything that would jeopardize anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I'm usually like, just don't get pictures of me and Ches together. I, I, need, I need plausible deniability. So for the record, I have no idea who this individual to my right is. I, have, I, have, uh, I can neither confirm nor deny that we have ever met. There's no photographic evidence there's, thereof. Well, I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of a double... Like, not only do I have to... Obviously, I can't do anything stupid or ridiculous or crazy or, or, you know, that would jeopardize him, which, I mean, I'm not an insane individual anyway. But I also, you know, feel some kind of responsibility to, you know, watch him. So, yeah, you know, if someone's right about that, like if you're going to sell me without my knowledge (laughs) and then I actually show up like, yeah, if if, if some guy was I'm going to blame you, I'm going to hold you personally liable. But I mean, I I watch people because he can't watch it. You know, I'll watch if somebody pulls out a camera or whatever. And it doesn't happen at places like this, but it happens at, you know, bigger, bigger type events. And it's just you you never know. And it's a shame you got to you got to worry about that. But I've actually had. I've had four or five times people have asked me for selfies when I've been standing beside them. I have no idea who I am, but they just, they, well, I can't get, I can't get to Don, so I'll settle for a selfie with this guy. So whoever those people are, I'm happy to sign, sign those, send them to the foul life, I'll, $20, and I'll sign them and send them Don, back. as we go into 2023, Safari Club's slogan is first for hunters. You are a big voice like we talked about. I don't know of any bigger right now in the country for, you know, your platform's gigantic. Yeah. Michael Waddell's an, an amazing individual, but his platform's not as big as you. But if you and Michael Waddell are on the same stage, it'd be a great message, et cetera, et cetera. Ted Nugent, keep going down the line. Jim Shockey, doesn't matter. Is hunting in trouble? What do we have to pay attention to and be responsible for as hunters right now? Yeah. And how can we secure this lifestyle and this heritage and this, this it's just such the, the sacred part of who we are for generations to come? I, listen, I, I think there's definitely aspects of it that are in jeopardy. I mean, there's sort of the constant attacks. You see it. You know, they, they ain't just going after guys, you know, shooting bears or like, it's just, there's always going to be sort of a death by a thousand cuts. We've seen that. I think, you know, oftentimes hunters are bad representations of what we should be, you know, out there. You see that in some of the photos or some of the dumb stuff, you know, people are posting on Instagram. And, you know, I, I think we, we we have to do a better job selling that to the people. But I also think even within the industry, I mean, I, I started a, a sort of a magazine podcast, Field Ethos, uh, with, with a couple friends. It was, you know, me, a former game warden buddy of mine, a former SEAL sniper friend. And like, we did, like, it, it was basically like a, a group chat. And we're looking at all the people who are representing hunting 
and the magazines that are out there. And I mean, everyone got so, you know, sort of apologetic. And, you know, we saved the hoof of the elk to carve chess pieces out of it. That's a good idea. And, and like, like, it's like, no, you didn't. Like, you know what I mean? And like, <laughs> just, just stop. It, like, every, even hunting got so PC that the people that were telling stories today, like, they weren't like stories like that I've ever heard around a campfire. And I've been in thousands around the world, you know? We got so protective. So we got to be a little careful how we portray ourselves to the outside. But even amongst ourselves, like it got so boring and so you know protective that I wanted to make sure that the camaraderie aspects, the the sort of that time around a campfire, the ball breaking, that that still you know need, needs to exist. So we we do have to work on it a lot. We we definitely have a lot of enemies, uh, and I I feel like rather than fighting our enemies, a lot of times we're fighting ourselves. I see that a lot in like sort of the archery world, you know the. The compound guys hate the crossbow guys. The the trad guys hate the compound guys. And like everyone's looking to screw everyone else. I'm like, I don't know. I, I feel like we have enough enemies. Yeah. You know, and stop I, the I, in, I stop the infighting. Yeah, like stop the in like we like we agree on like ninety nine percent of things. Like just relax. Like it'll be fine. And you know, we need to do what we can uh to bring in that next generation. And you sort of said it earlier, actually, you just brought up the sort, you know, word mentor, which like so many words uh, especially when Ches got a hold of it, words no longer have meaning today. Uh, but you know, under the traditional word, you know, word mentor, you know, we need to do a better job of doing that. I think you know, the generation you know or two ahead of us, you know, hunting camp sort of became you know just drinking and smoking around the thing and getting away from your wives, and we're not going to really bring the kids because that'll be a drag. And I, I do feel there's sort of a gap. Uh, that you know, of a generation that didn't get into the outdoors, didn't have those experiences, and now, and I see it as you know, as a father of like you know, some you know, athletic kids or something like that. I mean, kids are one sport individuals, three hundred sixty-five days a year. Like, if you don't start them young enough, and taking a kid hunting can can be rough. It can it can be. I mean, you've seen. It. I've been doing it with my kids. You know, taking young kids in places they probably didn't belong, and like, let's see if it works. But like risking my hunt to give that opportunity. And now, you know, two of my kids are just super into it. Um, you know, and I'll get the third eventually when it, when, it, when the time's right and he's uh, into it and hopefully I can get my girls, although my daughter, she's so focused on the sports, but like we have to go out of our way uh, to bring in not only our kids, but like other people's kids. Right. I saw that so much with, uh, with shooting, especially like, you know, I grew up in New York city uh, and while I got away every, all the weekends and stuff like that, I had so many friends from the city. I mean, many of them, you know, anti-gun for no real reason other than they saw the talking points, right? It's like, okay, well, you're so anti come How about you give me an afternoon? No, I don't need it. You know, trust me to give you one afternoon. You know, take them to a range. Teach them that. You know, rifle range, sporting clays. You know, bring out the, the dreaded, the, the dreaded AR-15. You know, that's the assault rifle. Uh, that's what know, AR stands for. Yes, that's that's what I'm told. <laughs> that's what you're told. I thought it was Armalite they, they, rifle, they, they but what, ne- what do I know? I, you know, the, the legislator that makes these rules know much more about this stuff than I do. They never put it down once you get them out and there. Now, hundred percent right. So, in, in one afternoon, you took someone who was anti to being like someone who's literally a gun owner. Like I, I've never not had one of those people, and and it, it went for you know my my friends, but also their wives and girlfriends or whatever it was. Not one of those people like, hey, when are we? Do- Can we do that again? And the reality is, you know, especially hunting, it's it's sort of intimidating to start if you don't have a basis to go with. Like, you know, so like if everyone can be a mentor to someone and take, like, you know, try to do that. I mean, you know, Mike Johnson does that so well down in North Carolina with Cross Rail Outfitters. Like bringing mm-hmm. kids that may not have otherwise gotten into it, like they see it and like you're not only 
you know, making an outdoorsman. And even if it's not something they, they get that into, you're like, you're getting rid of enemies. And, uh, you know, once they get a little bit of that taste of it, it it's, it's amazing how quickly their, their mindset changes on the whole thing. Uh, and so we have to do that. If we're just out there, well, it's more fun if I just go with my buddies and we just do this. Like, it's great. But like, you know, all of these things are numbers games. Uh, you lose too many numbers. You no longer matter to politicians. If you can't influence them, you know, you know, by numbers, guess what? They're going to focus on the guys that can. Uh, you know, the antis, everyone else, you know, whether it's anti-2A, anti-hunting, anti-everything, anti-freedom, uh, they are plentiful, they are organized, and they are after everything that we believe in and everything that we hold dear daily. That's their hobby. That's their passion. It's what they do. Like, we, we got to get together. We got to make sure... You know, we're smart about it. We got to make sure we bring more people in. We got to function as mentors. We got to get young people into it. We got to get women into it. And if we do that, uh, you know, there's great hope. But that means that everyone basically has to be a little selfless and get out there and try to do that. Would you echo those sentiments? Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, two things Don said. One, that the biggest problem with hunting is other hunters, deer dogs versus steel hunters, whatever it is, art, you know, archery competitions. That is that is dividing us as a unit. I mean, hunters make up a good part of this country, but when we start getting nitpicky, that's you divide us, then you conquer us. That's how we're going to lose. But especially with getting the kids outside. I mean, I've got I've got five year old twins and a, a smaller smaller baby. My five year olds, my, both of them have killed a turkey. My son's killed a turkey, a deer, and a bear this year in kindergarten, and that was not easy to make happen. I got a lot of very busy, a lot of stuff going on, but I had to dedicate time to make that happen. Have a really uncomfortable trip, stop at McDonald's 37 times, stop at the bathroom a hundred times. But doing that is one of the most valuable things I can do with him. And people complain about my generation and the folks younger, you know, a little bit younger than me and they should, they're useless. But the reason they're useless is because they're parents. And because that generation did not bring my generation to hunt camp. They wanted to get away from the wife and yeah. kids, not spend time with the wife and kids. Take the whole family. Teach them what it's about. And, you know, like Don said, we've got to be selfless about it. If we're going to get the next generation outside, we've got to dedicate the time and resources to do it. Of course, kids are going to play sports. Kids are going to do this or that. We have to take time. We have to take vacation days. Take time away. Spend money to get make sure the kids get outside. And because it doesn't just build hunters and forget, forget hunting, take hunting out of it. Yeah. That's, that's a great skill. It's great to have a hunting buddy down the road, whatever. Take that out of it. It teaches them discipline. Mm -hmm. It teaches them respect. You know, you're talking earlier about the type of people Don meets in camp and who buys these, these hunts and things like that. Well, in general, if you know nothing about a person except they're a hunter, they're probably all right. You're going to have something in common in a hurry. They're probably all right. No better way to get to know somebody than a hunt camp. Uh, Even on a golf course, like. No, it's also the great equalizer. Like, you know, sort of, you know, from. You know, in hunting camp or on a campfire or an elk camp and a you know base camp somewhere, doesn't matter where you come from. I mean, everyone's on that same ground, and that's that's pretty awesome. His dad was president of the United States, and I shot a bigger deer last night. It's a great equalizer. A boy I mean, bigger deer, a boy of, bigger deer. Yeah. yeah, but he gets to go again. <laughs> Comically, so really, he was thinking. <laughs> he was true. thinking, Maybe. but it is. It's such an equalizer. You get you. You know, we've been fortunate enough to have guys in camp that have sold out Fenway Park, fifty-four thousand seats. Some two, three nights in a row. And they get in hunt camp and they're just in awe. They put their waders on the same way you do. The ducks fly, the hot coffee, the wet dog, the campfire. It's an equalizer. They, nobody cares that you're a Well, those guys don't put their waders on the same way that Chaz does. <laughs> I mean, those are nimble <laughs> athletes. They, they get it like... This, I mean, hey, I don't even want to talk about the waders. He's taking the ones I gave you? Ch no, chasing bears, I am the best, most athletic person you know. 
True or false? I beat the Secret Service to how many bears? I'm just better. <laughs> athletic. It, it is an equalizer, though. I don't know if you're more athletic than anybody at this camp right now. I mean, I'd like to have a little competition and see. CJ, put together a little Olympics. Uh, ten. Ten. I want ten events. Wait, and I want bro- I, the academic decathlon <laughs> a la Billy Madison. It, it's going to be shit. I want a high jump for sure. I, I want, yes. As long as we have a Diet, diet Coke drinking contest. <laughs> yeah. So, so where does that leave you, Don Jr., going into this year? Your dad's announced he's running again. You're going to be busy. Yeah. You're going to be busy. Is, is, is the next two years going to make it harder for you to get away because you're about to go back into that realm of the campaigning and the touring and all that everything yeah, comes yeah. with it? I, like I said, I, I, I just make that work. You know what I mean? I'm like, hey, I'm going to be on the West Coast. Guess what? I'm going to go steelhead fishing. Or, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll do something. I'll take the weekends. He did an 18-hour elk hunt. 18-hour elk hunt. Killed elk. Where I knew I only had 18 hours, but I had a tag. So I was like, I'll, I actually did September an 18 hour bow hunted elk. And I was like, you know, chances of pulling that off are pretty slim. I just sort of took my expectations way down and just said, hey, well, I'll, I'll go spend the weekend in camp. But I got to be on a you know six o'clock flight on Sunday because I got four events I'm doing in three states tomorrow. Um, and so, no, I, I, I've actually gotten to the point in, in, in life. And, I, you know, I'm blessed to be able to do this a little bit, which is like uh, when I was younger, you know, I, I canceled plenty of hunts because you know, some deal was going to be closing, you know, the week that happened and all, you know, and then you cancel the hunt. Nothing happens that week. Three weeks later, maybe the deal closes. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just gave up an incredible experience. Like, I, I'm so much more, you know, about the experience than any given deal, any given this. So, you know, I I, I just make the time uh, and, and I'll, I'll make it happen. I mean, Priorities. I, I just sleep a lot less and take a lot more red eyes, uh, but I'm probably not going to hunt all that much less. Okay, so how do both of you see the next eight hours plan out? You're going to go sit in a deer stand, and then our mutual friend Gary LaVox is planning on arriving. How does this go? How do we discipline ourselves to turn it off? Do we turn it off, or do we go into tomorrow's hunt being dog-tired? Is this going to be one of those nights that well, you— Well, Chaz and Gary will stay up all night. Like, I, I have in, in numerous camps just, <laughs> you know, go to bed reasonably late— wake up really damn early and like they're in like boxers on a couch, like feeding each other crackers. And like, it's, it's there's a weird bromance going on. I, I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yes. Yeah, uh, what hurts it's, the most. Uh, it's what hurts the most. <laughs> Something hurts. Uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, you, you could, you could see something, you know, truly special. And now it's 2022, so there's not that there's anything wrong. Sorry, it's 2023 now. You're right. So that's even less wrong. It's not. It, it's fine. It's fine. It's not that there's anything wrong with any of this. Uh, but like, camp. you're. I promise you, by the end of the night, you're gonna look at me and be like, "No shit, you were right. That is weird. It, it is a. He's it, jealous. It, He's jealous. I know. I'm totally good with it. Like I, I, yeah. I, you know, Kimberly loves me the way that uh, Chez loves Gary, so it's uh, like I'm fine. I, I'm not. I have no shortage of love, and it just happens to come from an attractive woman, so I, I'm, I'm fine with that. He's a special man. Are you really the flats to his rascal? <laughs> uh, you know what's what's funny about Gary is I actually don't like much of his music. What? Yeah. Oh yeah. No. What well, this guy? In all fairness, he likes like. Irish folk ballads from the 1420s. Like, it, yeah. he's got literally they the were, worst taste in music. Of the they world invented music. Alive. Well, I'm like, I mean, I'm, a old, I'm an old school country guy. <laughs> it's it, it, so funny. I mean, I'm an old school country guy. And so I'm basically like 30 years behind. So I'm now just discovering Rascal Flatts. Tell, tell, tell us what you would do to George Strait. <laughs> <laughs> 
What's his last name? <laughs> Hint for the audience. It ain't. <laughs> it ain't that. <laughs> I am. I'm, Wait, you really don't like your friend Gary's music? Fast cars I mean, and so, no, some of the songs. Yeah, like fast cars, which. Maybe the only song I'd ever heard before I met him. I mean, I heard like Mayberry and my son watches cars. I've heard Life is a Highway, which is just an absolute terrible song. But it was <laughs> so funny. So the other night we were we were bear camping. That's not his original. Well, yeah, I know. But the, the other night at bear camp, Gary was playing me these songs and he was like, well, what do you think about this one? And I was just like, that sucks. And he's like, that sold 20 million records. Like, well, you, you hoodwink some people because that is a terrible song. Listen, in, in Gary's defense, Chez has the worst taste in music of any human <laughs> being I know. So, it, like, it, that, his, it, like, his not liking the music is a huge sales point. You know what I mean? Like, that, they must have done really well. Like, but All right, let's uh, end this by this question yes. here. I always talk about oh shit moments. Like what, like, and you've had a lot of them because you grew up in a family to where I, you might've even like walked in your house and Mike Tyson was eating dinner with you. And yeah. I could just imagine with the, who your dad ran with. Yeah. Is there one that ever sticks out in your 45 years on earth of where you're like, holy shit, that just happened? Or do they all just run together too much? I think, you know, honestly, a lot of it sort of runs together at the time. And, and later you have a sort of a greater appreciation for those moments. Like I see some of the pictures of me as a kid and I was like, well, you know, as a kid, I was like, oh, I'm at a baseball game. Well, I'm at a baseball game sitting in the dugout of the Yankees, you know, between George Steinbrenner and my father and like Billy Martin's there. You know what I mean? Like, wow. I'm like, I didn't think like I was like, I'm just at a baseball game with my dad. Like, well, I was at like sort of at a piece of like baseball history and Yankees history or, you know, I, I Michael Jackson was our neighbor at Trump Tower for a few. <laughs> like I used to play Nintendo with Michael Jackson as a kid. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so that. <laughs> So yeah, I've, I've I've done some interesting. Oh, I don't know if he should have admitted that. that. No, I know. Yeah. I, I don't know. Again, no, not hey, that there's anything wrong hey, with that. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to make sure everybody knows it's listening to this podcast and it's a large audience. I am a huge MJ fan, and what is what you say is it's it's innocent until proven guilty in mm -hmm, what you do. Yeah, I am not of the mindset that he, I I am a full supporter of Michael. Well, I Jackson. still feel like we should explore this. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure oh, we will. Are you sure it was a yeah. Nintendo or an Atari joystick? No, no, no. Yeah, well, that, yeah. No, I remember it being Nintendo because with my parents, it was always like we had to work for the stuff that we wanted. So, like, when everyone was moving on to Sega, like, I still had Nintendo you know, for like two years. And so, by the that's time. That's a big deal. That's a, that's a huge deal about how. I, I just think that's a huge deal about your upbringing and why you are the way you are. You're the kids. You had to work for what you had. You lived in a solid gold apartment on Fifth Avenue. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, no. You know, you were doing so good there. You were doing I was so like, good there. For I almost feel bad for breaking Chess's ass earlier, and like, no, now I'm, I'm totally fine. Well, with I was, it. I was almost like, going yeah, nice, yeah. but wait a minute. I want you're, okay. So forget about the Michael Jackson jokes. This is this is a life's uh, uh, an upbringing, a childhood, and even in your teens, your twenties, it never stopped. I mean, still, you have stories that you, you're, you've got Tiger Woods around. You got this going around, and then you're at hunt camp with just this guy. Yeah. Like, how do you decipher that? Like, how do you how do you look back on it and go, man, I have lived a freaking precious life. Like I am a blessed no, person. I, I, well, 100%, it's incredible. I, yeah. It's just, again, like the, the sort of upbringing from my, really from my, you know, my grandfather and my grandmother from communist Czechoslovakia, like I said, you know, I, I got to, I got to see that. And then it, it, it was something that at a young age made me appreciate everything. I get it. I, to, I totally understand like how blessed I've been with that stuff. So when people are like, Oh, but that was so rough. I'm like, I don't know. All in all, still been, been pretty, pretty solid yeah you know it's 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 been pretty solid a lot, lot of cool experiences and uh you know we're just gonna keep going i think we should probably you know clear the air and maybe dispel some rumors 
because I'll always get asked, you know, and, and the guys about the hunt, you know, what's Don like in camp? He is just another freaking redneck. I mean, he is just another guy in hunt camp. Like, it, it's not, it, it's not, he doesn't but say. That's, but that's not, that's the point of that last question, Chess, is that that's not normal for somebody that's played Nintendo with Michael Jackson. Yeah. And played marbles with right. Michael Jordan and played hide and seek with, with who, I think it's just not a normal life. But for you to be so grounded, I think is a, I told you that yesterday is like, that's a really cool thing to me that you could stay grounded knowing that you could at, with a phone call, kind of have whatever you want during your life, even though. Well, no, not, not necessarily. I think that's the big difference, right? Like that, that's what my parents, I think did differently than a lot of the kids I grew up that were also, you know, very blessed or came from, you know, wealthy family. Like they made us work for stuff. And like, again, I didn't want for anything necessarily, but like. You know, we were spoiled with, like, cool experiences, incredible places. We hung around, like, interesting people. But it was never like, okay, here's money, leave us alone. Right? It, it, it's a, it was a little different. So, you know, they, they made sure that anything we sort of wanted, we worked for. Usually, by the, like I said, I, I was still playing, you know, Nintendo when everyone else had already gotten Sega for a while because I hadn't earned, uh, you know, whatever it was. You know, what my I was working jobs away from home in high school because, you know, just to get away from all of those things. Uh, I Was your you dad know. hard on you work ethic-wise? Your dad's got to be a hard worker. Yeah, That's well, my mom was actually, I mean, my mom was sort of the sort of strict Eastern European disciplinarian. She was actually probably harder on us that way growing up. And then he was hard, you know, sort of once he took over probably more once it was like the working world, uh, you know, with that kind of stuff. And so, Would you, know, you want to work for your dad? I know you have, but would yeah. you, do you like do you like that idea? Um, it depends. It does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude! Like I said, he, he he'll uh, you know he's. I always say this: like he's not a guy that's going to subsidize my employment at the expense of his business or, you know, his employees and all the people that sort of you know need him to succeed. You know, their their livelihoods, their families, all their well being is dependent on his success. Like. If I did a crappy job, I wouldn't be there. I remember in 2016 at the Republican National Convention, Don was speaking. And this was probably like your first big, like nationally televised, like everybody's this kid from The Apprentice, whatever. And Don said one line, I'll never forget it. He said, I can drive a D8 dozer better than I can drive a three wood. I like That's that. true. That's well, like, you know, My dad was like, hey, you're going to build a building. You better know how to dig a ditch. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we did, I, I mean, I spent summers landscaping, running, you know, heavy equipment, you know, uh, it's a great line. I can put up sheetrock, you know, cause I did these things. Cause again, if you're going to do it and you're not going to get screwed over, like you better know what it actually takes and how much time it should take. And you know, what's the whole thing is, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that going on, especially in construction. And so he made us do those jobs and work for people that were tough in those jobs. And I, I think that was a, that was a huge, huge help. Well, congratulations on everything. I hope that the next two but years. But I appreciate you saying how on. humble I am, especially since I shot all the ducks, you know, in the blind. I, think you're I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I missed it. Smaller deer. Smaller deer. A lot smaller. You could have. Smaller bear. Oh. Hey, speaking of which, smaller I'm going out bear. to see if I can. Uh, I, I yeah, can Drew's texting me now. Me now. Um, in the next 48, in the next 24 months, do you think you could find room to slide me in on stage during one of you or your dad's speeches to blow a duck call? Maybe do the national anthem. Maybe just do a 90 second Stuttgart Main Street well, routine. Listen, it may, maybe. Maybe like when we have to clear out an audience, like a fire drill, like we'll we'll put you up there, and like you, you'll you'll do a good job. I mean, people people will be. Are you trying to fully repelled? Is this a something like you're trying to get support or? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, like, I, I didn't realize you were I a think... Biden supporter. That's interesting, Chad. Good, good, good to know. I am not a Biden supporter. I want to make sure I I do like Michael Jackson's music. 
I like it a lot. I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to end the podcast by making sure that people understand that we're not making fun of Michael Jackson. Okay. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, let's go get a deer. <laughs> Drew Keith is here. Thank you all for listening to the Foul Life Podcast. Don Jr., Don Trump Jr., thank you. The liaison, Big Cheese, a.k.a. Chess. CJ, everybody, thank you for buying the hunt, supporting Delta yeah. Waterfowl. Drew Keith, everybody at Honey Break. We've been bragging on Honey Break here. Drew's in the room back there. Um, besides my duck calling, it's been a good experience, like you yeah. said before. Thank you guys for being here. Good luck on the deer hunt tonight. Thank you. Good luck in the next 24 Last question. Are you going to run for office someday? Are we going to see you I, running for major office? Yes or no? I, right here. I don't know. I know. Like, like I said, I said it. No, I said it earlier. Like, I, I, I love sort of the, the fighting aspects of politics. I don't know that I want the day job. Frankly, like right now, I think I can do a lot more helping like 10 guys who actually want that job, who will be, actually be good at not just, you know, Washington, D.C. stiffs, uh, you know, help them win. And I can probably do a lot more and have a lot more freedom actually being outside of public office because I don't have to play by the same rules. Makes sense. But maybe one day. Thanks for you being never here. Know. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for thanks for donating your time unknowingly yes. to Chess and this hunt. You're welcome. Thank you very much. <laughs> Chess, thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Fallet Podcast. You guys can book a hunt. Check out Honey Break, Louisiana. These guys do it right. Drew Keith, the CEO, dear friend of mine. Come down here. Hunt ducks. I'm not going to say hunt deer. I don't think it's allowed unless you have the name Trump. You guys take care. This is Chad Belding for Chess and Don Trump Jr. Thank you all for listening to the Ballet Podcast. Soul,